Hello, true crime friends, and welcome back to another episode of True Crime in Academia. I'm your host, Mary DePippi. First of all, I hope you are all having a good week so far. If not, that sucks, and I'm really sorry. I truly hope the week gets better for you if you're having a pretty shitty week out there. Uh, last week was pretty rough. Wouldn't we all agree? Yeah, a lot of abuse... A lot of horrible things happening to our serial killer, Danny Rowling. Again, not that he necessarily deserved to be abused as a child. Again, I only feel sympathy for the child, not the adult. But yeah, so sadly, I can't even say that this week really gets any better. I mean, it's a little bit better. Like, like the tiniest little bit better it could possibly be. Like... It, yeah, I mean, it's still pretty bad. Still discussions of suicide, abuse, physical abuse, um, and we also still have animal abuse in here, so I'm not going to get into too much detail about the animal abuse, but it's definitely mentioned. So again, if any of those things really trigger you or bother you, just maybe wait until after we're done covering the Gainesville Ripper. To join back in. Yeah. Because I don't want to ruin anybody's week. You know, like I said, last week was already pretty rough. And yeah, the slightest bit better it could possibly get this week. It, it does. But again, it's just a very tiny, tiny bit better. It's, it's, it's really not even much to move the needle on the scale of how bad all of this shit is. But yeah, so with that, let's get into part two of the Gainesville Ripper, a.k.a. Danny Rowling. So we will be picking up with Danny Rowling's life at age 11. The year is 1965, and Danny had picked up the guitar for the first time, and he would start to teach himself how to play and mostly would sing hymns, which is pretty cool. Um, at this point in his life, the effects of his father's abuse are really starting to show. It was during this time that Danny started having sadistic and violent sexual fantasies, which <laughs> I wonder why. He also started drinking. Danny would steal alcohol or he would get it from friends. Teachers who had taught him, you know, past and present, described him as having issues with authority aggressive tendencies, and just overall poor impulse control. These teachers had actually told Danny's mother, Claudia, and suggested that Danny seek counseling, but Claudia never pursued any help for her son. So, again, like I said, we're seeing how this abuse that Danny's suffering at the hands of his bastard of a father are really starting to manifest themselves in his personality and in his life. Uh, last week we discussed Danny also experienced two severe head injuries before the time he was six years old, and how TBI, or traumatic brain injury, can cause aggression. However, again, the source of Danny's aggression is unknown, but again, 
these teachers are seeing that he's having these aggressive tendencies. So that could possibly be the cause or part of why he's acting this way. We're also seeing how him being molested has affected him. Because again, his fantasies are sexual in nature. I have no proof of this, but this is just speculation. Um, But I, I can't, I feel like there's no denying that Danny's behavior, all of it, not just the sexual fantasies or the violent sexual fantasies, but just, again, having this issue with authority and being aggressive and not having the best impulse control is a direct result of him being abused. And honestly, I'm kind of annoyed with Claudia for not pursuing counseling for Danny, because obviously this could have potentially helped him and navigate him like down a path of less violence. But, you know, at this point, you know, he has no say in his own, like, he's 11 years old. He has no say in his own, like, health or what happens, you know, like, especially no say in matters of his own mental well-being, you know, and I can't imagine how helpless and how hopeless that must have felt, knowing that there's something that's going on with you and someone's trying to offer help but you aren't in the position to be able to accept that help. And I couldn't actually find the specific reasoning as to why Claudia never looked into counseling. But I think that, the, I mean, from what I know about society of that time, it seemed like there maybe have been some like societal factors. One being the stigma that mental health back in those days. Um, and two, I think it was her not wanting him to tell a stranger or this counselor or doctor whatever about their home life and the shit show that that was. Mostly because I think that she would probably find that embarrassing. But I really think that, like, there was just this fear of, like, oh, we have to look good to the outside, you know, despite what's going on on the inside, things like that. So I think that that really might have had a lot to do with why she never pursued it. But either way, I mean... Neither of those reasons are, like, justifiable for neglecting your child's mental health. In some ways, actually, I would say Claudia kind of reminds me of Livia Soprano, Tony Soprano's mother, you know, from the hit show on HBO, The Sopranos. Um, If any of you have seen Many Saints of Newark, I'm not going to ruin this for you. I promise, no spoilers, but... This is the reason why she reminds me, Claudia reminds me of Livia, is because in the movie, The Many Saints of Newark, there is a discussion of mental health. And through that, you kind of figure out what Livia's views are and that they're pretty negative in regards to mental health. So, again, but the, and the only reason I bring up Many Saints of Newark is because the time frame of when Danny was going through what he was going through and... The time period in the movie are kind of similar. So <clears throat> that's what I'm drawing it upon. But anyway, like I said, it just reminds me of that. But um, yeah, if any of you haven't seen Many Saints of Newark and are fans of The Sopranos, you should definitely check it out. Um, I watched it not too long ago with my boyfriend. It was really good. But anyway, let's get back to Danny. A year later, so roughly when Danny's like 12... His father, James, decided he was going to beat him with the belt for not getting the proper haircut for school. 
James then took it a step further and then decided he was going to shave Danny's head, which led him to being bullied by his classmates. For whatever reason, the name Sasquatch caught on, but I, that doesn't make any sense because Danny was not hairy. He was bald now. And he was short. He wasn't tall. Like, he was literally the complete opposite of a, a Sasquatch. So I don't, you know, obviously kids are mean, but kids are also stupid. <laughs> I'm just saying. And I don't mean that to be mean, but like, come on. Why? Really? You're gonna call him a Sasquatch when he's like literally the complete opposite? Like, that's just, that's just stupid. Anyway, this sort of bullying obviously, you know, put Danny in a really shitty position with the bullying now starting in school, and then he's got the abuse continuing from his father at home. Danny didn't have a safe place where he could just get away and be himself and not have to, like, walk on eggshells. And I can't even begin to imagine how difficult that must have been. Not only just for him, but for anyone. You know, most people said that knew him, they said he was sensitive, which again, not surprised. And, you know, I think all the more reason he would have needed a place to feel safe and, you know, to be able to get away from this living hell that he was going through. As Danny progressed through his teenage years, his father's abuse escalated as well. One night when Danny was 12, again, he's 12, his father found him drinking with a friend. In response, James decided to have his son put in jail, not overnight, no, no, not just like one night in the drunk tank, nope. He put him in there for two weeks. Two weeks! Two weeks. No one who was arrested for drinking or in any sort of like public indecency or intoxication is ever put in for two weeks. And on top of that, his father refused to let Danny speak to his mother. Which again, I mean, I don't know fully how what his view of his mother was but i'm sure she was more comforting than james so the fact that he can't even speak to her is just insane so when he was released and you know rightfully so he ran away he ran to the woods because he didn't want to come home and you know while he was there he masturbated to the violent thoughts he had running through his head because again he's going through puberty and his brain's trying to process not only all this crazy abuse that he went through and is and still going through but now you're adding puberty hormones into the mix so you know i can kind of see why that's happening again he was also molested as a child so i mean he's very familiar with violence and sexual violence and things like that so you know I, it just seems like all the wires are crossed in his brain Again, I have no proof. This is just speculation. So after being in the woods for some time, he did realize that he wasn't going to survive, and he returned home the next day. Then there was another time a year later, James handcuffed both of his sons, both Danny and Kevin, and knelt on their chest like their lungs, pretty much like how, sadly, like how George Floyd was killed. But he did that as a punishment for not cutting the grass to his liking. Like, what? But then it gets worse, because it was also reported that James would randomly just wave his gun around his wife and sons and threaten to kill all of them. I mean, 
But again, James is such a great fucking guy, isn't he? <sighs> Makes me want to puke. I do want to talk about the belt thing real quick. Now, I know back in those days, hitting your kids with a belt was like the popular form of discipline. However, both of my parents grew up around that time. And they were never, like, literally beat with a belt. You know, they may have been hit, like, one or two, like, good times. But they were not beat with it the way James was beating Danny. And again, this is for some extremely stupid non-reason. You know? And I feel like, I, I truly feel like Danny's home life, it just, for him, is a cycle of damned if I do, damned if I don't. Which is just sad. Because like I said before, he's like it's like he's got to walk on eggshells wherever he goes. Now, his father having thrown him in jail for underage drinking for two weeks is just fucking insane. As I mentioned before, like, you know, people who get put in the drunk tank, it's, it's overnight. And then, you know, they get relief. But he's 12 years old and he's not allowed to speak to his mother. And he's in jail for two weeks? What the fuck, man? Like, ugh. But again, don't worry, everybody. James' co-workers think he's great. He's a great guy. Ugh. Ugh. I can't even imagine the amount of stress that just thrives in that household. Like, especially when James is, like, waving his gun around and threatening to kill anyone. Everyone. I'm honestly surprised that James didn't become a family annihilator. Because he is just tiptoe and walk in that fucking line like it's a tightrope man like seriously ugh at age 14 Danny started peeping in on his neighbors which for those of you who don't know peeping I mean, everyone I think thinks that peeping is just when you look in someone's windows and you're like watching them but there's also a sexual nature to it most peeping involves some sort of like touching of oneself or masturbation or urination things like that so it's not like he was just looking in windows i just want to make that clear but he was caught twice by his neighbors and the one time he was caught by his father of course he was beating the shit out of for it and it was around this time that danny actually decided that he wanted to commit suicide so like he went to the woods it seemed like he, like, wrote some note in lipstick on the mirror, like, I can't do this anymore. I forget what the exact words were, but he write, leaves this note, and then he decides he's gonna go to the woods, do this, but he failed. And, you know, he just didn't want to be out there, so he returned home, you know, and, I mean, this is clearly just a cry for help. I don't know that he necessarily really fully wanted to take his life, but he definitely was depressed enough to feel that way. I completely, and everything he's gone through, I mean, I, again, I can't blame him for going down that path. I just wish he would have gotten some help. The Christmas Danny turned 15, he received a guitar as a present and taught himself how to play and write songs. He had also gotten a job at the local Dairy Queen, but was forced to quit by his father after only a week because Danny's grades were starting to drop. Danny was thrown in jail once again at 16 after James caught him drinking with one of his neighbors. Why he chose to throw his son in jail for drinking and not peeping? Beyond me. 
I, I mean, obviously, James is not the uh, pinnacle of good parenting, but like common sense would just be like, yeah, maybe throw your son in for the actual crime and not some stupid bullshit like this. <laughs> but again, James is a real piece of shit father and cop. So it, you know, it, I don't think it has to make sense to anyone but him. And again, Danny started beginning or started to escalate again. And he would start hunting and killing animals like snakes in the woods. He was arrested again at 17 for intoxication or public intoxication. But it's not clear if this arrest was just for him being belligerent or if this was his father's doing. So it's obvious that Danny is not doing well mentally. Like I touched on earlier, he he's trying he wants to commit suicide or is attempting it so he's it's obvious that he's depressed. But again, like I said, he's also his um behavior is also escalating. You know, obviously masturbating to violent thoughts isn't a crime, although it's definitely a red flag. But again, you know, with the abuse that he suffered, I'm not surprised that his brain is manifesting these types of thoughts and things like that. But he's also abusing alcohol as well. So not only do you have someone who's in a bad mental state just to begin with, and you're adding alcohol on top of it. So obviously this is not a good combination. Um, I actually had a conversation with a friend the other day. Hi, Carol, from uh, Words Matter Bookstore. And we were talking about how, like, talking about this case, and I was saying to her, like, how peeping is kind of like the gateway to other violent crimes. In a lot of cases that I've studied and serial killers that I've studied, a lot of them start their life of crime via peeping. And, you know, which I think is just, it's it's interesting. But, you know, even then, his level of violence is also escalating, not because of the, the peeping, but then, like, he's also killing animals, which is another behavior that is directly linked to serial killers. Many serial killers killed animals before they progressed to killing people. And in Danny's case, I think for him specifically, like, killing these animals was a way to gain some sort of control. Obviously, I just want to say it right now, I am not agreeing with killing animals. I think it's just as atrocious as killing a human. But, again, trying to get into Danny's mind, I think that might be why he started doing it. Because, again, he has no control in his life. And, of course, I have no proof. This is just my speculation. But, you know, I'm sure he felt very helpless. And, again, hopeless because of this situation. And not having any real power... I think he feels like he doesn't have any power to change his life. And having this power of being like, oh, I get to decide which creature lives and which dies can be very empowering to someone like Danny. As fucked up as that is. Guys, let me tell you about my friend Mandy. She makes some of the most beautiful crocheted goods and decorations I have truly ever seen. The holidays are just around the corner, so you're either going to be looking for that super unique gift or that super special ornament or decoration for your home. Do yourself a favor 
go to Mandy Made It on Facebook and Instagram. That's M-A-N-D-E-E, Made It, on Facebook and Instagram, and slide into her DMs. Trust me, you are just going to love everything she has to offer. I already have a few pumpkins from her. I have a really nice crocheted headband that keeps me warm in the winter. And of course, my very, very favorite Coraline doll. So if you're looking for cool decorations or if you're looking for that super special gift, go to Mandy Made It on Facebook and Instagram to order now. Later in his 17th year, Danny enlisted in the Navy but failed the enlistment test. Instead, he decided to join the Air Force, where he was stationed in Texas for basic training. At this point, Danny was not only drinking, but he was taking other drugs as well. This new method of coping led to a drug possession charge, a disobeying orders charge, a lost stripe, and eventually a dishonorable uh, dishonorable discharge. Danny returned to his parents' home and decided to join the Pentecostal church. He was baptized and got involved in the church by singing and playing the guitar at services. It was there where he met his wife, Omantha Ann Halko, who was 17 at the time. The two married the following year, and Omantha was already pregnant with their daughter. Now, you can find out her name if you want to, but I will not be saying it for her privacy because she has nothing to do with her father's violence, quite frankly. So it kind of seemed like Danny's was turning his life around, but sadly, his father's abuse would ruin that. It should be no surprise to anyone, though, that Danny was a horrible father and husband. I mean, it's not like he had a good example to follow. Danny would often run off for hours or even weeks at a time without telling Omantha anything about where he was going or what he was doing. It also didn't help much that Danny could never hold down a job. Danny started drinking again and using drugs and eventually left the church. His behavior had become so erratic and irrational, it was to the point that his wife was starting to become scared. Now, this is the only... Time in Danny's life where I can find some sort of, like, reprieve, I guess. Like, you know, he wasn't necessarily always at the hands of his father's abuse. You know, he was, he joined this church. Like, he started to be in a place where he kind of felt like he belonged, you know. But, you know, as a retired Catholic myself, I know, I know that that church definitely preached against peeping, raping, and murder. I mean, that's just like Christianity 101 right there, you know? So even though Danny was still struggling with the mental repercussions of his father's abuse and how fucked up it made him, you know, he did turn to religion. So, you know, I'm not going to further the idea that religion saves people, but, you know, you would think that it would... (laughs) Explain like, oh yeah, these violent urges, these violent thoughts, they're not good. And, you know, for me, this is kind of the point where it's like, Danny could have, again, turned his, really turned his life around and maybe sought out help or from the counselors at the church and maybe tried to heal from his abuse. But he didn't. And I know that mental health was still stigmatized at that time. But, you know, again, like, I feel like the church would have had resources to help him. And to help him heal and maybe not, 
to the extent that seeing like a psychiatrist would, but it would have been some, you know, something is better than nothing, right? Especially in this situation. But that's just my opinion. In 1976, Danny picked up with peeping again. At this time, he was starting to claim that he had demons inside of him and that he could see UFOs and sometimes Jesus. Okay. Out of desperation, Omantha called Danny's family to tell them about his strange behavior. And, you know, because James is such a great guy, he went right over and put a knife to his son's throat. Of course. The following year, Danny put a shotgun to his wife's head and threatened to kill her and the man she was having an affair with. He then turned the gun on himself, and Omantha begged him to stop. Thankfully, Omantha got herself out of there and filed for a divorce. And, you know, thank God she had the strength to do that, because, as we mentioned in the last episode, it can be really hard for victims of domestic violence to get out of their situations. So thankfully she was able to do that. And, you know, I know I had mentioned that James was definitely like tiptoeing the line of family annihilator territory, but I'm like, I would bet money that Danny would have killed Omantha and their daughter had they stayed together any longer. There, there is no doubt in my mind, you know, It also seems like he's having, like, delusions of grandeur with, like, this, like, seeing UFOs and and Jesus and having demons inside of him. I mean, don't we all, though? We all got our own demons, I guess. But I guess maybe it's a little weird when you can, like, see them. I don't know. But, you know, he's also drinking and doing drugs at this time, so I don't know how much that had to effect, like, had to affect, sorry, not effect, had to affect with that. But, you know, I can't imagine that it didn't help. I'm sure it just furthered everything, you know? After his devastating divorce, Danny raped his first victim. This woman, sadly, resembled his ex-wife, and she was killed in a car accident trying to get away from Danny because this all took place in a car. And that left Danny with another head injury. Danny went on for the next few years robbing convenience stores and grocery stores and it seemed like one that he particularly liked is called the Winn Dixie. In 1979 he stole $800 from one Winn Dixie in Montgomery, Alabama and then another in Columbus, Georgia 6 days later. He committed all of these crimes using his father's revolver. An hour after the Columbus, Georgia robbery, Danny was arrested. And within a half an hour, he confessed to the robberies in Alabama, Georgia, and then another one that he committed in Louisiana. He was then sentenced to two concurrent six-year terms. To be honest, I'm kind of glad Danny used his gun when he committed this crimes. I mean, I wish it would have gotten his father arrested or, like, questioned at least, you know, giving him some grief. I mean, it's not, I mean, obviously he was a cop, so it's not like he couldn't have weaseled his way out of it. Like, I wish they would pin it on him. But again, he was a cop. He was on the inside. So it was less likely that that was going to happen. But again, now we're also seeing that the peeping has escalated to sexual violence. Because he literally rapes someone. And it's so sad that she had to die. Essentially trying to get away from him in this car. And again, Danny has another head injury. I have no no evidence to support that TBI had anything to do with his crimes, 
But again, at this point, I can't imagine it not having some sort of effect on his brain and his personality and the decisions he'd made. In October of 1979, Danny attempted to escape from a road gang, which is basically a prison outing where they put inmates to work. But he stopped when officers started shooting warning shots. As far as we know, no time was added for this escape attempt. The following May, Danny was transferred to Reedsville Prison. While there, he was almost raped, and he attempted to kill the cat that had been hanging around the prison. Six months later, Danny was extradited to Alabama to stand trial for the armed robbery he committed there. And then later, on June 7th, 1984, he was released where he spent time between his parents' house and his Aunt Agnes's house. That November, Danny resumed peeping and now began breaking into homes. And for whatever reason, he decided to do this while dressed as Rambo. Danny visited family that they had in Carmelo, California. I'm pretty sure I butchered that. Before he then decided to hitchhike to visit more family in Florida. From there, Danny went to Boulder, Colorado, and then to Black Hills, South Dakota, before going back to Columbus, Georgia. While he was there, Danny robbed a Kroger of $290 before stealing the keys to a family member's car. He was then arrested the following morning and pleaded guilty. And he was sentenced to four years in Jackson County Jail. He was actually able to escape by simply walking out, Ted Bundy style. But... He was obviously caught and eventually paroled under the condition that he returned to Shreveport at his parents' home. In 1989, Danny was able to hold down a job at a buffet, but was later fired for missing three consecutive days of work. It seemed like it was a situation where, like, the new schedule was put up when Danny wasn't there, and therefore he didn't know. But anyway, that's beside the point. Danny exploded with rage and caused this whole scene at his job. Like, he threatened his boss and his other co-workers. It was bad. I mean, obviously, backtracking a little bit, obviously no one has a good time in prison. But again, Danny is being subjected to more abuse, which God only knows how further, how much further that warped his already fucked up mind. You know, I, I'm not going to go into the details about how he tried to kill the cat. Because, quite frankly, I'm done talking about animal abuse in this series. I wish I didn't have to talk about it at all, but here we are. <laughs> um, just know that it happened. Okay? The Rambo costume, to me, is just so in so intriguing. But I think it also speaks to his mental state. When you think about it, when you're a kid, you know, and you're playing, you generally choose a person or a character that you idolize, you know, one that makes you not only feel good about yourself, but sometimes that, you know, one that's more powerful than you are. And I think the Rambo costume, like, gave Danny some, like, empowerment. Like, I think it made him feel good, you know. The other thing is that Rambo, like, the films were about, or the Rambo film series they're centered around this one guy who's going against everyone else, which I think Danny really related to. I also can't believe that he was paroled after escaping Jackson County Jail. Like, he's clearly proven to be a flight risk with the attempt at Reedsville, and then he just literally walked out of Jackson County. 
So I don't, you know, I don't understand. But then again, straight white men hold a lot of power in this society. So I'm sure that had something to do with it. And also his father being a cop. Maybe they're probably like, oh, it's all right. As long as you stay there, you're good. But also, you know, whatever. The scene, though, that he caused at the buffet when he got fired, it made me think of that scene in Half-Baked where uh, Scarface, played by uh, Guillermo Diaz, where he's telling off his co-workers at the fast food place he works at, where he's like, fuck you, fuck you, you're cool, and fuck you. Like, that's how I imagined Danny would have handled that situation. But obviously, Danny was a more violent person, so it it's not that he got violent, it's just he was extremely angry. It wasn't, definitely wasn't that half-baked scene. But who knows, maybe Danny would have been calmer if he decided to smoke some weed instead of getting drunk and all the other drugs he's taking. I don't know. Just a thought. Well, my dears, that is where I leave you this week. Next week is pretty bloody and sadistic, so prepare yourselves. Thank you all for listening and sticking around with me for part two of the Gainesville Ripper. Maybe, I know this comes out at noon, but that's your lunch break, so I mean, you know, have yourself a little drink while you listen to this, because whew, Man, I need it just, like, after talking about it for this long. Oh, my goodness. Well, I hope you all enjoy the rest of your week. Please stay safe out there. Do not forget to like, subscribe, follow, do all of the things. I really appreciate it. It helps me. And, you know, I'll see you guys next week. True Crime in Academia is an Ivory Tower Boiler Room podcast. Members of the Ivory Tower Boiler Room team include... Andrew Rimby, Executive Director, Mary DePippi, Chief Contributor, and Jaron Usta, Marketing Director. To support the Ivory Tower Boiler Room and its podcasts like True Crime and Academia, click the link at the bottom of the show notes and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at the Ivory Tower Boiler Room and at True Crime and Academia. A special thank you to Anne Sophie Anderson composer and performer of the song Scorpio, which is this podcast's theme song. As always, thank you for listening, and we appreciate your support.